You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Good morning, good morning, Calvary. How is everyone doing? How are we doing? Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. In case you didn't know, um, I'm not Pastor Bob. <laughs> uh, I know I look quite a bit different. It's quite the surprise. But um, I have the privilege of spending uh, this time here with you today. So I want to take you back about 35 years ago when I was in high school. That's a joke, guys. That's a, that's a joke. I'm not that old. Um, you're like, I want what he's using. Um, I need his skincare routine. Uh, but back when I was in high school, um, I had this guitar class, right? And I use this term um, very loosely because no one was learning in this guitar class, right? If you've um, ever encountered the public school system, this was not like, hey, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to actually use this time to learn guitar. Everyone just used it as a free period to do whatever um, they wanted to do, right? Um, and I already knew how to play guitar at the time, so I was set, right? I just took the class to get an easy A for one of my electives. Um, but in this, in this class, right, there was this one particular classmate, right? And he actually took the class very seriously, right? He was dedicated to learning the guitar in this class. Every period, he would come in, grab his guitar, um, and sit down and practice Mary had a little lamb until he was blue in the face. He would just sit there, right? Um, and he had this little first act guitar um, that you could probably buy like at Walmart, right? It was like this, this big, right? And it had a piece of green painter's tape. I'll never forget, it had a piece of green painter's tape on it that spelled adhesive and Sharpie marker, right? Well, one day he comes in to the class and I see him looking for his guitar on the instrument wall, and it isn't there. It's not there. So he walks up to our guitar teacher, and I just see him having this really intense conversation with the guitar teacher, just tearing up the guitar. He's like, where's my guitar? He's like, I can't practice. And the guitar teacher's like, dude, just figure it out. Just figure it out, right? Well, I had an internship period with this guitar teacher at the time, right? So I walk in the next day during my internship period, my guitar teacher goes, James, James, I have a project for you. I have a project for you. This kid is driving me nuts because he lost his guitar. And I need you to make a one-to-one -one replica of his old guitar so he stops bothering me. And then he brings up another guitar that looks pretty identical to the other one, right? It was just like this old guitar sitting in the corner of the room. He's like, I need you to make a one-to-one -one replica, right? So I'm sitting there. I restring this guitar. Um, I clean it up, and my guitar teacher goes, now for the final touches. He's like, you know what time it is. And he hands me a roll of green painter's tape and a Sharpie. So I rip the tape. I make the edges match the way it was ripped off. And I take the Sharpie marker and write out adhesive, right? Um, and my masterpiece is done, right? It's time for the moment of truth. So I put the guitar back on the instrument wall. And the next day, I get to this period super, super early, right? Because I'm just waiting for this kid's reaction. Like, is he going to buy it? 
So I'm waiting, and then I see him. I see him walk in with his 500-pound book bag. He sits down. Um, he goes to look for his guitar, and lo and behold, in all of its glory, he picks up my replica. He takes it. He sits down. He gets about like halfway through. Mary had a little lamb. And then he just suddenly stops, which he never stops, right? So I'm like, he's on to something. He stands up, puts the guitar back on the wall, and then he just starts to stare at it. For a, minute, a whole minute or two, he shakes, he shakes his head, and he walks back over to the guitar teacher, and then he starts yelling at him again. He's like, oh, man, how could you do this? That's not my guitar. He's like, there's no way that's my... And Michael's like, what do you mean? That's, that's your guitar, right? And then he looks at me. He's like, I'm like, I don't have anything to do with this, right? Um, and the funny part is that like a week or two later, he started using the new guitar. Um, like nothing ever happened, right? But it didn't matter how similar the guitars looked. My classmate was unable to tell the difference. It didn't matter how hard tr I tried uh, to make this guitar look like the old one. He could tell the difference. And the reality is that whether we realize it or not, this is true in our own lives as well. You see, it doesn't matter how much we try to fix ourselves on the outside if who we are hasn't actually changed. Unfortunately, our culture it encourages us to only worry about our appearance. Right? We live in this extremely superficial world where the only thing that matters is how we appear to everyone else. According to a recent uh, study, in a pool of 2,500 people, 50% of people agreed that appearance, appearance defines people significantly or completely. As human beings, we're obsessed with image, with image or appearance. We have this tendency to value appearance more than everything else in our lives. Now, to give you an, an example of this, um, how many of you guys, just by raise a hand, know what this is? I'm about to trigger a lot of people, so <laughs> hold tight, hold tight, all right? Save your emails, right? For those of you uh, who don't know, that oversized coffee cup that you could probably, you know, use as a weapon, um, <laughs> It's $50, right? And some of you guys are like, no, nah, I found it. It's like $50. And that's right. You're paying $50 for a tumbler that you could probably find on Amazon for $25. But why? Why? Because James, all of our favorite social media influencers use that cup. James, how else are people going to know that I'm important if I don't have a Stanley Cup? If I'm not walking around with a Stanley Cup? And guys, in our society, we're told that we should value our outward appearance in order to have worth as a human being, when in reality, the complete opposite is true. You see, if we don't prioritize integrity, we'll end up compromising our values when it matters most. We'll, we'll end up experiencing these trials in our life because we're never able to take responsibility for our actions. And unfortunately, our culture doesn't even allow us allow us to recognize the importance of personal responsibility. It feels like we're incapable of saying true to what we believe. And guys, the biblical answer to this dilemma is a lot simpler than most 
realize. For some reason, we have this understanding uh, that we should follow your heart, right? I'm sure you've heard that. Oh, just follow your heart. Do whatever, uh, wherever your heart takes you, right? That the right thing to do is to trust our feelings when making hard decisions. And we're actually told the opposite in Scripture. You see, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the author writes this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked, who can know it? What most people don't realize is that the Bible never actually tells you to trust your feelings. And my hope today is to give you a completely different solution. I want to challenge you to have soft hearts and open ears um, to, to hear what the Bible has to say about how we can live our lives with integrity. According to a recent study, roughly two-thirds, two-thirds of Americans say that they are sinners. They identify um, as, as sinners. And only 5% of that subsection is actually okay with being a quote-unquote sinner. There's this clear disconnect of, of what we say we believe and what we actually believe. And today we're going to look at a passage that addresses this exact problem. More specifically, we're going to look at uh, James chapter 1, 21 through 27. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the book of James is presumably written by the half-brother of Jesus. You see, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, James became a follower of Jesus, and he established himself as a leader in the early church. The Apostle Paul lists James, along with Peter and John, as pillars of the church in Galatians 2, 9. And the name James uh, is actually Jacob in the original translation. The two names come from the same root word. I remember shortly after I became a Christian, I was sitting with someone at lunch named Jacob. Um, and I found out this fact, so I was like, hey, just as, as a conversation starter, you know, I looked at him and I was like, hey, if you think about it, you and me, we actually have the same name, right? And he looked at me dead in the eye. He said, listen, listen, buddy, you and me, we're not the same. I was like, whoa, dude. I was just trying to start a conversation. As you guessed, we're not the best of friends um, anymore. But as a side note, right, throughout our time together, whenever, whenever I say James says this, this is really important, guys. Whenever I say James says this, I want to clarify that I'm not speaking in third person in some, like, introspective way, okay? Um, I'm always referring to the half-brother of Jesus, James, right? So I apologize in advance if it's confusing. Just think of me as, like, Jim or something, instead, right? But with that being said, the book of James was written with the central focus on conduct. This is because James, he spoke primarily to a Jewish audience. They already understood the importance of faith in their life, right? Despite um, this, most religious people in that day, they would express their faith in this extremely shallow manner, right? Either by uh, praying on a busy street corner, or publicly announcing to the world that they're fasting, right? All of which is spoken against by Jesus in his ministry here on earth, right? James, the half-brother of Jesus, he continues that same message by giving us a roadmap to what practical faith actually looks like. In this section, uh, James, he explains the importance of aligning our beliefs with our actions, our beliefs with our actions. And my hope is that through his words, we can learn to live a different kind of life 
that actually values integrity in our walk with God. So James, he begins in uh, verse 21, and he says this. If you'll read with me, he says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We're going to stop right there. That leads us to our first point together about aligning our beliefs with our actions. And that is that we have to be receptive to change. We have to be open to change. James, he explains that if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, then it follows that we should be open to change. James, he explains that when we hear God's word, um, it should cause us to take action in our life, right? We shouldn't just hear it and not do anything about it. The phrase that James uses uh, when describing our reaction is likened to become or keep on becoming, right? It's the idea that through our relationship with Jesus, our behavior should gradually change over time by aligning with God's will. Oftentimes, as believers, we have the opposite view of our spiritual growth, right? We think that we have to change everything first before having a relationship with Jesus. In reality, it's nothing, it's nothing but God's grace that actually allows us to change in the first place. You see, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, the Apostle Paul explains this clearly. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's through the grace of God that we're able to, open, to be open to change in the first place. So I, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you want to change? Do you want to change? Because if you have no desire to change, then you will remain stagnant in your walk with God. You see, when we come to Jesus, we have to make a decision to lay aside our desires and trusting that God's purpose is better. But if you compromise, if you compromise and you don't make that commitment, and you make a half-hearted commitment, then your actions are going to be meaningless. And to give you an example of what this looks like, when I used to visit my grandparents over the summer, uh, they always had this one rule that they would enforce. So I'm sure many of you guys know this rule, that when we would go outside, um, that we had to make sure that the, the door was closed, right? It was like in or out, right? I remember as a kid, I couldn't understand why this was a rule. I'm like, this is like, I feel like this is just controlling, right? So I asked my granddad, and I'm like, hey, why is this a rule? And he said, if you leave the door open, uh, the air conditioning works harder, which costs us more money, right? And being the terrible kid that I was, I thought to myself, I was like, I don't pay the air conditioning bill. Uh, I was like, you do, so why do I care, right? And to some degree, that was true because it didn't make any difference in my life whether I upheld that rule. Well, fast forward, right? Fast forward. My family's having this uh, get-together, and there's a bunch of kids outside, right, playing outside. And there's this group of kids that keep going in and out of the back of the door. In and out. And the door, the whole time, wide open. And for some reason, I'm sitting there, and it really bothered me. 
as I'm watching this. So I eventually walk up to this group of kids. I'm like, listen, in or out. You can't keep the door open. You're wasting money. Oh. oh, no, it happened, right? And all of a sudden, it was full circle. I somehow became the thing uh, that I swore that I wouldn't become, right? And the reality is that as an adult, I understood the importance of, respons- of personal responsibility. You see, when we don't make any commitments in our lives, the sacrifices that we make don't have value. And ultimately, this is the issue with the believer that makes compromises in their relationship with Jesus. They're incapable of recognizing the sin in their life. Because there's no noticeable difference between their life and the life of an unbeliever. And as a result, God never truly takes foothold in their life. So these beliefs that they hold, they feel meaningless. When James uses the phrase deceiving yourself, deceiving yourself, the Greek word for uh, deceive in this passage literally means to reason. It's when we expect grace for ourselves and we try to justify our sin. And then we expect judgment for everyone else. This is the, the, the mindset that the Apostle Paul has to address when uh, referring to these believers that are carnal believers, right? And ultimately, this is the issue that James is addressing in this passage. The Apostle John in Revelation notes God's response to this kind of mentality in Revelation 3.16 when addressing the church of the Laodosians. He says, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You see, so many times we have this notion of God's moral judgment that's distorted. Whether we admit it or not, we're broken individuals. We're not perfect. We're broken. So therefore, our moral standard is broken. For some reason, we think that God judges those who are completely apathetic to the idea of God the harshest. In reality, the scariest place that you can be is when you're too prideful to accept that you don't have an answer for your sin. And instead of facing reality, you return to your sin after hearing the gospel because you didn't have the humility to need a savior. Listen, that's the last place you want to be in your walk with God, making compromises. So I I, I want to ask you this question. Are you humble enough? Are you humble enough to accept God's grace in your life? When you look at your life right now, are you humble enough to accept the reality that you need a Savior? And that the only way to actually change is by making an intentional commitment to follow Jesus. Well, we see James, um, in James chapter 3, verse 23, he tells us exactly what happens when we make that decision. In verse 23, he says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, This one will be blessed 
in what he does. This leads us to our second point about aligning our beliefs with our actions. And that is that you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. The second distinction that James makes is that we have to be honest in our evaluation of our lives. James, he specifically explains the importance of this in referencing a commonly used illustration throughout Scripture. Right? James likens the, the lukewarm believer to someone who looks in a mirror and immediately forgets who they are. The Greek word for uh, man in this instance specifically refers uh, to the gender and not mankind in general, right? which was most likely a reference to how women are a little more conscious of their appearance, which to some degree um, I think is, uh, is true. Um, I remember my fiance asking me one time, um, she looked at me and she was like, hey, how long does it take for you to get ready in the morning? And I'm like, five to 10 minutes? Why? And some of you are like, yeah, obviously, look at you, right? But she was so taken back, right? She's like, really? It takes me 30 minutes to get ready. She's like, so what do you spend the rest of your time doing? And I say, which I should not have said, uh, waiting on you. Uh, I quickly realized that's probably not the wisest thing to say in that moment. Uh, but in the Old Testament, a woman, they would carry a metal looking glass made of polished bronze metal uh, that acted as a mirror, right? Men back then, they weren't into haircuts. Um, beard oil did not exist back then. The only oil that people used was anointing oil. Um, but when the temple was being constructed, um, these mirrors were collected in order to construct what is called a laver. You see in Exodus 38, verse 8, it says he made a laver of bronze, and his base of bronze uh, from the bronze mirrors of the serving woman who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This laver, it was this basin, right, this, this bucket that was full of water, right, um, that stood between the altar of sacrifice and the holy place in the tabernacle. And I actually have a picture uh, to show you. As you can see right there, this is the first time I feel fancy using a laser pointer. Um, but, but as you can see, um, there's the altar right there. There's that basin, the laver, right? And then here is the holy place. So one, two, three, right? Um, so basically, the, 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 the priests, they were required to wash their hands and their feet in this basin before entering the holy place to minister, right? It was positioned in between uh, to act as a reminder that it's only through sacrifice that we're made clean. That it's only through sacrifice that we're able to reconcile with God. You, you see, the principle behind this was to ensure that self-reflection was required before coming to the Lord. Now, under the new covenant, we're made clean through Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. But you see, in a similar manner, James is reminding us that we need to be honest with ourselves when we come to Jesus in all of our brokenness. Because James, he understood something that most people do not accept, that it's extremely easy to be honest with others and dishonest with ourselves. But if we can be honest with ourselves, um, that we have room to grow. Right? But if we're not honest with ourselves, then it's impossible to grow. It's impossible 
to grow because we'll be blinded by our own pride. Now to give you an example of what this looks like, uh, back when I was in middle school, I played um, the lead role in Cat in the Hat, the musical, Susicle the musical, the whole production, right? And I actually brought a picture in case you were wondering what I looked like when I was 13 years old in a cat costume. There you go. There you go. Take a picture. I'll last longer, right? Uh, you got to take that down. No one's going to listen to me. Um, but my drama teacher, right, she decided uh, that it would be a good idea to have me roast my vice principal during the musical in front of everyone, right? Mind you, this was my drama teacher's idea, right? There's this line that read, excuse me, you, sir, with the greasy mustache. And she told me, hey, James, it would be hilarious. It would be hilarious if you would um, point to the vice principal while you were saying that. Like, everyone would think it's hilarious at the time. And the funny part is I didn't have a problem doing it. No. <laughs> Because I couldn't stand the vice principal at the time. And to be honest, it was, she was, did have some manly features, right? Um, but <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, um, nevertheless, I ended up doing it. And as you can imagine, everyone thought it was hilarious, just laughing in their seats, but her, right? She did not think it was funny at all. And the, the, the great part about it is that she couldn't even do anything about it. Because she, she was like, James, why'd you do that? I was like, it was my drama teacher's idea. Um, but, but guys, I, I, I want you to think about this for a second. Just for one second, I want you to think about this. I was making fun of this woman's appearance while I was parading around dressed like a magical rhyming cat. That don't add up, right? It doesn't add up, right? And we're not, if we're, if we're not careful We'll end up in a similar <laughs> position in our lives. I wonder what was up there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll end up in a similar position. We'll, we'll look at ourselves and we'll fail to realize that, that we're just as broken as the person that we're pointing the finger to. You see, we're, 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 so, um, we're so prone to be the first person to point the finger, and yet we fail to see our own shortcomings. When we have a relationship with Jesus, we have to hold ourselves to the same standard that we hold other people to. This is a principle that Jesus himself describes when explaining the attitude we should have when we interact with others. You see, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, he says this, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, if we want to live a life of integrity, then we have to be able to examine the shortcomings in our life. And this is why honesty is so important in meaningful relationships. Because if we can't come to God in humility, we're never going to experience change. We'll find ourselves in this, in this cycle of discontent that only leaves us empty-handed. Because guys, fear leads to bitterness, and bitterness leads to hate, and hate will always leave you isolated. So what do we do instead? 
But we have to put aside bitterness in our relationships and diligently seek God's word instead. You see, when we abide in the truth that is found in his word, we allow ourselves to be transformed by God's grace in our life. This is why James, he calls the word of God the law of liberty, the law of liberty. Because it's only when we decide to grasp God's words that we're going to be able to experience true freedom in our lives. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, he tells us exactly how embracing truth should impact our lives. You see, in John chapter 8, Jesus, he says this. And it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice how it doesn't say the truth will imprison you. The truth will make you free. If you want freedom from the weight that you are carrying, you have to lay aside the distractions. You have to lay aside the bitterness in your life, and you have to be honest with yourself. You have to ask yourself the hard questions that no one else is going to ask for you. Like, are you leading your family that God has entrusted you with? Are you pursuing the goals that God has set in front of you in your career? Are you being responsible with the relationships that you have that God has specifically put in your lives? You see, it isn't until we answer the hard questions that God will begin to turn us back toward him through his word. We see exactly how God begins to do this in our lives in verse 26. If you'll read with me, um, it says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to, to, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The last point um, if we want to keep our, our beliefs aligned with our actions, then we have to be aware of our intentions. You have to be aware of your intentions. You see, in this last section, James he gives us a description of what it looks like to truly follow Jesus. Not just say that you're following Jesus, but to truly follow Jesus. At first glance, his description of genuine religion uh, might, it might seem specific, right? But when you look at the whole picture, it starts to make sense. He explains that the people who claim to be religious are the same people who deceive themselves, who reason with themselves by justifying their sin. So what is James's ultimate picture of genuinely following Jesus? Well, through James's description, we're given um, this greater insight into the character of the God that we follow. James, he states genuine religion, and that is worship, genuine uh, worship is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted 
from the world. You see, uh, the book of Isaiah uh, follows the prophet Isaiah as he deals with the nation of Israel amidst their rebellion against God. And during this period, the nation of Israel has refused to listen to God. You see, the first chapter, it outlines all of the nation's wrongs, everything that they were doing wrong. And amidst this, the author gives the Israelites their course of action. In Isaiah uh, chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. God, he, 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 just, um, he, he doesn't want us to just look the part, guys. He wants us to experience the change in every area of our, of, of our life. James, he would describe this life as unspotted from the world. James, he's explaining to us that we have to come to God with the right intentions. I love the way one commentator describes this passage in Isaiah. He says this, Isaiah had another type of washing in mind. A washing that did not require water. It required a cleansing of the heart. A change of attitude and practice. Worship and prayer could could be practiced only when other practices ceased. There was no halfway compromise in Isaiah's charge. Stop evil. Stop wrong. Do right. Seek justice. Aid the oppressed. Go to court for the fatherless child and widow. God's priority is how you live normal days of life, not how you perform on special days set aside for ritual. He's not asking us for perfection. He's asking for us um, to have a change in heart. We're given this very simple choice. We can keep compromising in our walk with God by justifying all the sin in our lives and reasoning it away and, and making these decisions that just push away God. Or we can, we can come to him, we can put aside our pride and come back to our Father in heaven, knowing that he's faithful to answer. Guys, I want to challenge you to have soft hearts and open ears. Examine your own life right now. I want you to use this moment to think about who you are as a person. Use this as an opportunity to reflect on the decisions that you have made in these past weeks, in these past months, in these past years. What are the decisions that you have made? Where has your heart been pointing? Guys, I know uh, for some of us, we have all kinds of sin in our life. You see, we're at the standstill. We're the complete opposite of unspotted from the world. Instead, we have these stains in our life, stains of guilt, stains of, of shame, of doubt, 
stains of regret. And we've just been, been, been pushing God away, making compromises when we needed him most. Do you think that's the life that God has called you to live? I, I, I just want to share this to encourage you. God wants you to live a different kind of life. He wants you to live a life that's not consumed by the mistakes that you've made. But one where you can grow from the decisions that you make. Why? Because you deserve it? Because you're a good person? Because you made the right decisions at the right times? Because you did everything right? Nope. Nope. Because he loves you. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul, he describes God's love for us in our rebellion. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, and that is sin. It is by grace you have been saved. God, he doesn't want to watch you keep making mistakes that you regret. He wants to wash away every stain in your life. I don't know uh, if some of you need to hear this, but there's no price, no price that God wouldn't pay for you. You see, when God sees you through the lens of Jesus, he doesn't see uh, your guilt. He doesn't see your shame. He doesn't see your doubts. He doesn't see your regret. Instead, he sees his child. He sees his son. He sees his daughter. Jesus, he paid the ultimate price so that you don't have to live your life in shame anymore. So you don't have to carry that with you. You can experience true freedom knowing that every debt has been paid. And all he asks of us in return is to follow him. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, we come to you and, and some of us might uh, be surrounded by distractions. Some of us might be in some difficult circumstances right now. Some of us might be blinded by pride, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just point us back in your direction. I pray that you would remind us that, that you have a life, you have a purpose for each and every one of us. And that we need to return to you, come back to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us be honest with ourselves and that we would be honest in our intentions, Lord. 
in a moment, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to pray. But for those of you um, who say, James, I, I, I don't want to, have, to, to, to carry around those stains in my life anymore. I don't want to have to carry around that guilt that I've been carrying around, that regret, these doubts. I want to be confident in my walk with the Lord. I want to give you this moment to come back to Him. So if every um, head bowed, if that's you, you want to decide to come back to Him. Just raise your hand. I see you. God bless you. I see you. I see you. Amen. Lord, I pray that every hand that is raised represents a heart that wants to follow you. In a moment, I'm going I'm to pray a prayer. And it's not a magic formula. They're not special words. They're an honest confession. An honest confession to God. So with every head bowed, I just want you to repeat after me and say, Lord, I come to you today. I say that I am sorry for everything that I have done wrong. I want to live a new life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen God. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.